0: We are so excited to have everybody with us today. We're going to jump right in. This is Continuing Conversations, of course, where we talk about everything Star Trek RPG, not only about the wealth of material out there in the universe right now for those who play the game, but we also love doing the fan worship. We love doing the writer worship, the creator worship, the artist worship, and today we're all about the fans. Before we jump into it, I'm Michael Dismuke. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG, and of course, a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And as always, we have with us, Jim Johnson.
1: Hey everybody, Jim Johnson, uh, Star Trek Adventures project manager, line editor, Uh, Get About Lifelong Star Trek fan, here to be the co-host with Michael on this wonderful show, and here to introduce our wonderful guest star
0: tonight, Joe Harney. Joe, all right. As as I said before, we're about fan service. We love it. You know, Star Trek is nothing without the fans. It's been that way since the 60s, Mm -hmm. and we promise um, with both Medifius and Continuing Conversations to keep that going. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself, your uh, love of Star Trek.
2: Yeah, thanks, Mike and Jim, for having me. My uh, start off, my name is Joe Harney, and I've been, uh, if you recognize the name, I've been pretty active on our Facebook community, uh, typing in uh, whenever I can contribute to helping the game go along. Uh, I mean, my love of Star Trek started uh, from very young. I was, you know, right at the right time when Next Generation was on airing, actually airing on television, and you had to sprint to the... Uh, bathroom in the commercial breaks and uh hop over the uh the end of the couch and make that dash in between because you didn't want to miss it because there was no pausing or or DVRing back then um but uh you know started you know very young in in Trek there rolled right into deep space nine straight into voyager all the way through everything in the movies all I've attended uh, many, many uh, science fiction based conventions, uh, been a member of several of the Star Trek fan clubs throughout the, the iterations in history. Uh, I got a closet full of Star Trek costumes that uh, I wear to various uh, Comic Con events and everything. So I'm uh, all in Trekkie all the way. So, so our we, two questions
0: for you is your favorite show and your favorite character.
2: Oh, you did that to me, and I wasn't prepared. No, um, I'm gonna have to say Deep Space Nine is uh, still my favorite uh, show, simply because of the revolutionary uh, filmmaking it was engaged in at the time. You know, a first ever three-part episode um, in that in that media format was really groundbreaking, and um, I think my t- my toss up of my uh, my favorite characters are going to have to be uh, between a uh, Dax and uh, probably. Uh, data because um, they both bring a really unique perspective to the universal experience as an audience member.
0: Love it. Love it. And then tell us a little bit about Star Trek Adventures. Was this your first time dipping into any RPG or, or give us your, I like knowing the history of uh, gotcha. Joe and RPG that got you to STA.
2: No, no, no. I'm a long time, uh you know, uh, Died in the wool uh, RPG player from for, you know first edition Dungeons and Dragons in high school, all the way through the uh, the uh, Vampire the Masquerade LARPing phase in my my late teens early twenties. Everyone I think went through a, v- a VTM phase there for a while. Uh, picked up a uh, picked up a little bit of the Last Unicorn game. I have a whole shelf full of all the past uh, systems and everything, but it wasn't really till uh, I. I grabbed my f- copy of sta that it was the system to make the the types of stories i wanted uh, to tell with my gaming group uh come alive and, and make make the narrative do what i wanted instead of trying to force it into some sort of d20 fatgo uh <laughs> monstrosity adaptation so
0: jim was saying quite a bit about that the other day jim when we had our uh, it, by the time people see this, our interview with Nathan Dowdell will have been uh, will be out. We have a two parter coming out, but that, those were some of the things Jim was marking, marking ah, saying about the game. Also,
2: <laughs> so my so my Star Trek adventure uh, career started with um, I ended up running for my local gaming group of uh, friends and such. Uh, we made the cardinal mistake of uh, every game, and we started a game right before the holidays. Uh, but in uh, November of 2019, but we uh, forged on through it um, and played all through uh, the initial parts of uh, 2020. And then when a uh, lockdown happened, we transitioned to uh, an online version using the Roll Twenty system uh, as a as a supplemental to our uh, just Zoom types channel chat and then uh we gamed all the way up till about earlier this year where we took a pause uh, and one of the other players wanted to give a shot at running a different game uh we played that for a couple months uh but we all kind of were all trek fans and so we came back to the uh our original game and our original game setup but now the timeline had moved and we actually switched into an admiralty campaign with the, the character, the player who was playing the captain PC is now the admiral. And everyone's uh, supporting her and her efforts to negotiate uh, some sort of diplomatic relations with Species 8742.
0: Now, that was actually the perfect segue to what we're here to talk about today, because we're talking about the difference between remote versus in-person gaming and the pros and con. And, and Joe, I want to say, you know, Joe offered up this idea. He put together a really good outline of some top points. Um, So I love this because we're all about the fans again at continuing missions. Um, So Joe, what brought this on this thought process that you said we need to talk about remote versus in-person gaming?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's been uh it's a couple of things, but I've seen a lot of chatter online about, um, you know, oh, I, our group can't get together. It's impossible to schedule. It's not enough time. Uh, and there's been a, you know, I think it's a, definitely a pushback and a uh, backlash from the pandemic. You know, with you know Zoom and and online remote tools have been so great for remote productivity, but after you know working all day on the on Zoom you want to then have your your gaming on zoom so there was starting to it started to feel like there was a little bit of like well you know uh re- online remote gaming isn't real gaming and i I really push back against that as a personal philosophy so mm-hmm.
0: jim you're you're really connected in social media what have you been hearing about this subject
1: uh well you know I think um the the game I feel like really took off right around the time COVID hit. I think I think we got we got a boost early on when the game came out, uh, thanks to uh, Shield of Tomorrow and some other streamers that were doing the show, or doing shows like Star Trek shows online. And uh, like prior to that, I had never really thought about seriously gaming online. Of course at the time, you know, this is pre-COVID, I didn't really know any better. And I had, a, I had a local group that, you know, satisfied my gaming itch. But uh, once I started seeing folks playing the game online, I, I, I was like, okay, something's going on here, and then and then COVID hit, and like everybody, I mean, not everybody, but tons of people started playing, and I would I'd be finding uh, you know videos on YouTube and Twitch and all the different channels and stuff, and that was right about the time I guess COVID was right about the time I got uh, promoted to line manager, and then I really made it a point to be more focused on what was happening in the social media world, just with the game because I wanted to make sure I was plugged in and really listening to the fans passively, if not actively. And um, um, yeah, so just like on all the different channels, people are talking about using Discord, using Roll20, using all the different platforms that are out there. Even like you, Michael, you were early on, you were talking about using a play-by-post on Discord. And that was uh, a new world for me too, because I hadn't really heard of a lot of people playing play-by-post. And so the, I, I remember reading your article on Continuing Mission before I even knew you, right? I was like, oh, this is a really cool article. This is This guy's got some interesting ideas. Um, uh, about almost doing it as like a, um, an interactive journaling game kind of thing, right? Where you're just going back and forth, working with people, and you've got a, a dice roll of just kind of making things happen. So I think um, I totally get. Like I, I, I'm a I'm a lifelong tabletop RPGer, and all like the vast majority of my experiences across the table, face to face with people, because it's so it's such a great creative outlet, and it's so effective to be able to see. Non nonverbal cues and body language and and like when you get to know a group of people, you get you, you can read their facial ticks and like you, you can kind of like if you're the GM, you can kind of like shape things because you know what kind of reaction you're going to get out of them, and you can use voices and sound effects and all that stuff. And it's it's harder to do that online, especially if you're not in a group that's using video. Like the the long uh, Star Trek Adventures game I ran a couple years ago, we were uh, we were playing online on World Twenty, and we were using the Discord video or not video but audio channel. And we, Because we just didn't want to be on video. We just didn't see a need for it. We wanted to do it all kind of like theater of the mind, like almost like a radio drama every week. And um, a lot of other groups are doing that. And I'm I'm really curious. And what I would love to hear is I would love to hear about the groups that you don't really hear about, right? The ones that aren't recording for Twitch. They aren't recording for an audience. They're just getting together and playing. They might be on Zoom. They might be on World 20. I mean, whatever. I mean, hell, they may even be picking up their phones and just doing like a group chat, you know, group call. Or something like I, I saw a picture on social media a couple of days ago somebody was uh was flying home from Gen Con and they were in their airplane seat and they had their phone like you know propped up on the on the on the on the fold down table right and they're they were rolling dice and they were playing the game right there in their seat and I'm like wait a minute what's your what's your seat <laughs> seatmates thinking here I mean they had their headphones on and stuff right so well, um, I think, but, I, I, but, think no, you, I think this is a, this game's really good
0: uh has gotten good buzz for
1: online And uh, I think, like
0: you said, with the pandemic too, we wouldn't have got all of that insight and really seen the game evolve in such a way. So, so with that said, Joe, you know, go ahead and start us off um, with, with remote games. Let's talk about pro cons with that. Jim mentioned some of them. What were some of the highlights that you you've been tracking?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to say the obvious one first is that uh, when you have a remote game online, you don't have to live near each other to game. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, Don't think I am alone in having a, you know, a pre-college gaming group life and group of circle of friends. And we all dispersed throughout uh, time and space uh, as we've gone and being able to get back together and game remotely is a great thing to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, keeping up uh, with old relations, and it lets you build uh, new groups. I mean, I don't think there's a, a week that goes by where there aren't at least one or two posts on either the Facebook Facebook or group or other social media of someone looking for a player for an online game or an online player looking for a game to join. So right. um, some, so of like
0: some my, people need to just print out a shirt that says hashtag LFG because they're <laughs> just constantly looking, they should just walk the streets and get ready. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's a, you know, I've met quite a number of great people throughout my entire uh, career just like random collision of, uh, interests and, and, and fandoms that have, uh, found some of my, uh, my best friends that I've kept through a long time, just through those types of, uh, shared interactions. So it, uh, brings together a lot of people from disparate backgrounds, different, you know, different walks of life that you'd never otherwise normally uh, run into if you just were limited to the cork board at the local gaming friendly game store where you post up your index card saying, look, need a player looking for group Yeah, that way.
0: Yeah. Good point. Good point. I mean, we've, we've seen people post some of our most regular posters online to are from Germany, Japan, Australia. So it's, this game is definitely taking off globally, which I loved um and so get all those cultures you know mixed in together what else what else do you have for us yeah
2: well so you know it's not even just a benefit for gaming across the world and then throughout uh throughout the the country it can actually benefit if you all live in the same town because i mean there are some uh, of the larger urban communities where you know a cross town commute is still an hour mm-hmm. at any kind of uh Uh, rush hour time, it's such. And so what I found actually works really well is um, there is I've come to kind of this, uh, I don't know if there's a name for it or whatever, but I've been calling it the commute ratio where uh, the further you have, the, the longer you have to spend in the car driving to get to what you're doing, the more units of fun you have to have at the end of it to justify the drive back and forth. Um, I like I, I live in uh, I live uh, about a hundred miles away from San Francisco, and we used we in a, you know in my twenties we used to drive in to go to a show into the city uh, often and then drive home and like mm-hmm. but now uh, a little later on and uh, as traffic has gotten worse and conditions are are harder to do that you know making spending three hours in the car each way for a two hour long. Uh, event thing, it's hard, it's getting harder and harder to justify. And so even being able to hop online, uh, you know, we all have a lot of, a lot of responsibilities, uh, kids and, and other jobs and other things going on. Our amount of time that we can dedicate to gaming is limited. And you have to figure out how much of that time you want to spend driving to and from the game Versus playing the game and Jim are you
0: thinking do you know is Modiphius and the gamer um, gaming company starting to take that into account too when they're going into game design
1: uh what part just the, the fact that we're kind of shifting toward online a little bit
0: or even just taking into account that people aren't able to really get together around the table as easily as they used to that commute ratio that Joe just t- talked about yeah, yeah. going into, into ideas.
1: Uh, I, you know, I can't speak for Modiphius as a whole because I'm, I mean, I've been in such a Star Trek bubble for six years now. All I'm really focused on is Star Trek. But like, I, I talk to the other program managers, and I think in general, they're all plugged in like I am to their own respective lines and stuff and to the industry as a whole. And I think, um, I think we've certainly seen some shifts in um, not so much attention spans, but just like people's willingness to get into a game. Like there's, there's always been a barrier to entry. To RPGs, right? Because like you know, your traditional RPG is a 300 to 500 page tome full of stuff, rules, art, whatever, and 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 the game master inevitably is the one who gets to get, gets to bear the brunt of the work because the vast majority of players, and I don't mean this disparagingly, because <laughs> I'm a I'm guilty of it too. Uh, a lot of players just don't want to invest the time to learn the entire rule set. They want to make a character, and then they want to get playing. They want to know what cool shit they can do, cool stuff they can do, excuse me. And, and, they, and they want the game master to kind of be their guide for the rules and say, okay, can I do this cool thing? And in general, the game master will say, well, yes, you can do that or no, you can't do that or whatever. And and that just adds to the, it's not it's not the commute ratio specifically, but it's related, I think. Because especially when you're trying, if you're a game master trying to sell a group of players on something new, right? There's a huge barrier to entry. If it's not, and I'll be frank, right? I mean, let's let's not hide from the eight hundred pound gorilla. If it's not Dungeons and Dragons, and you have a group of players who know Dungeons and Dragons really well, to try to sell them on any other game, you'd immediately put a, a mountain in front of yourself. And I've seen this for thirty odd years being a gamer. Like every time I try to get my group to try something different, they're like, "Okay, well, you know, how?" how their first question is always, "How does it compare to D D?" Right? How does it play yeah. compared to D D? And I know that's not directly related to the commute ratio, but this is the conversations we're having: is that we've discovered that you know, by and large, RPGs there's a super huge barrier to entry because you've got to read so much stuff as a game master, um, and and you know, just books are expensive, right? And and yeah. b- prices are going up because printing's not getting any cheaper, shipping's not getting any cheaper, and um, you know, if you're if you're if you're a developer like me and you really care about your freelancers you always want to get more money to the freelancers and to the artists and to the editors and to the proofreaders and to everybody else involved in making the games but but you can only squeeze the stone so much uh, before you just run out of blood <laughs>
2: right yeah well and it's uh, almost you know. it's it's a broader trend as well in society yeah. and technology is uh, as we've become more specialized in our skill sets uh, when we develop a skill we're very loath to abandon all of the time, effort, and energy it went into learning that specific thing. So, I mean, there's a reason why the Microsoft Office suite is still the most utilized, collaborative uh, uh, word processing programs is that's because we all learned it. We've all spent thousands upon thousands of hours using it and nothing has come along that is better, good, uh, more better enough Mm-hmm. To make us abandon everything we learned, and I've seen that trend in the gaming industry as a, as a deep consumer of uh, RPG products itself. Yeah. Is the the industry itself is really taking towards uh, lowering the 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 mechanical barrier to entry of mm-hmm. learning the skill system, learning how to play the game, and Modiphius did a great job with the 2d20 system because I can. I can, on a three-by-five index card, basically explain the difficulty task system. And then everything is just a variation off of that.
0: Right. Interesting that you say that, too, because just last week we were talking about even the videos, micro videos, and how people need that blended learning concept. (laughs) They want to see a video before they're going to jump in and read the book, which is why we do these. That was one reason uh, that inspired Jim and myself to start doing uh, continuing conversations. And it's really the same concept too with if you starting to get people playing into a game, they may not have three hours to play. So you had talked something, Joe, about micro sessions and the benefit of using that remotely.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, and the one thing, uh, you know, when you no longer have to drive to someone's house and, and mm-hmm. spend eight hours to get your uh, gaming fix in um, you can, you have a lot, it frees you up for a lot more options, uh, including what I've been calling these micro sessions. Uh, Cause you can do a short online game, uh, you know, there's no reason to block off a whole Saturday anymore. Uh, you can, if, if your group so chooses, you can do uh, an hour a night uh you, as many times of the week as you want mm-hmm. um i know in when i was uh, running the my game uh we would generally play saturdays uh in the late afternoon evenings but there would be time in between where we i might run with a single character single person a single scene like, almost like a downtime backstory where uh Previously, we, you might write up a play-by-post email of like, this is what my character is doing while we're flying to SETI Alpha 4, right? But we can actually, with the, the technology available, we can now hop on and have that scene. And whoever's available can uh, jump in and play some supporting character NPCs, which is one of the greatest mechanics that uh, Star Trek Adventures has because uh, it solves the problem of uh why should the captain be on every away mission
0: <laughs> yeah that's actually and i have to say that micro session is exactly how we play on discord i call it playing by texting because we're all working we all have responsibilities but i'll open up a scene as the game master and i'll say as a game master i don't actually even need to participate in this scene where you want to ask somebody a question i just set the scene And then I may have to walk away for six hours because I'm working Um, and I come back and then there's this beautiful chapter, this beautiful scene written. I read the whole thing. I set the next scene. Maybe I stay there for it, maybe not. And that's really worked to get us through five seasons. We're in our fifth season now of games since 2018 um, with the current crew. So that micro session is really the only way I play now, unless a niece or nephew comes over and has a couple hours to kill, you know?
2: And if your uh, group is up for it, you can record it and, you know, either post it on the internet or internally for the individuals who weren't able to, to make it as part of your group or the larger audience. Um, and I really found when we, when we stopped having to, like, block out six, four, six, eight-hour sessions... Turns out that people do have time to game; they just don't have large blocks on the weekends free anymore. Yeah. And so we were able to go from like a once a month uh, in person to every week uh, because we were now able to play three or four hours. Yeah. And occasionally, if you weren't feeling it, we'd just be all like, "All right, we're well. We'll call it," and then you turn off your uh, your your Zoom and you're home. Mm-hmm. So the barrier to entry uh, for getting together and playing is uh, almost zero.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting uh, that you talk about the micro sessions. <laughs> that's, that's like, it's only, I'm just listening to you and I'm nodding my head because it's like, this is almost exactly how I run Star Trek and how I've been running it for, for time immemorial at this point. Because um, uh, we didn't call them micro sessions, of course, we called them subplot sessions. And what it was, it was like, if we knew that a bunch of folks couldn't be at a game one night, if two or three people could show up, I'd be like, all right, you know what? I'll just run some subplot sessions and it would be those little scenes that they always had to cut for time on the uh, television shows or it was the scenes they didn't write that you just assumed happened in, in between different scenes or in between episodes or whatever. And I thought they were great because they were such a great opportunity to build role playing, to build character, to add in subplots, to add it, to, to give some supporting characters a, a little bit of a moment in the spotlight especially it gave the department heads, the player characters who are department heads, it gave them a chance to flesh out their teams. And, like, you get to learn more about the security team or the engineering team or the, or the, me- the medical staff or whatever. And, uh, and that was a great way to kind of, like, bring those characters back into the full-blown episodes and, and like, add even more color. And it, was, it was like the, the supporting character mechanic you're talking about before Modifius even came around, right? This was, this was pre you know, Modifius and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a really, really, really powerful tool. And I can totally see now, I haven't really done this much in online gameplay yet, but I can totally see how it would work. Where if you say to somebody, oh, or someone, say, or if a player says to the game master, hey, I'd really like to run a subplot scene with uh, my department uh, assistant chief, you know, I want to get a little bit more detail into that, something they, something they said in an episode, or maybe I planted a seed that they want to pick up on, but they don't want to take up the time in a, in a, in a group, uh, you know, when we can actually get everybody together to play a full episode or something. And I'm like, yeah, we'll get together for an hour on. I, I, I can just visualize it. We'll get together on for an hour on Roll Twenty or on Zoom or whatever, and uh, we'll just knock that scene out. Maybe we'll record it, or maybe not. Maybe we'll just. I'll just rely on the players to uh, to journal their moments. To if they want to share with the other players, um, or they can just keep it to themselves. I mean, that's that's up to them. But yeah, really powerful tool. Great, great. For, yeah. Thanks for bringing it up.
0: Yeah, the other benefit of the micro session. I know some people feel different ways depending on how they're groups are are i I do this with permission but i will actually using discord break a couple characters or one character into their own scene they're doing something different i'm going to later on because i do nov i make many novellas of all of our games i edit through them i later on insert it and do the time crunching and all that but that's been amazing because we had one character for instance in last season that was thought missing for last they thought the guy the the players was quiet about it. They didn't say whether they had survived or not, passing through the subspatial rift. But they had actually gone back in time for five years and had to live five years of time to finally catch up to their group again. And no one knew it. In the meantime, <laughs> they played a different character. And and so the power of that micro session. when they finally got back together, if you look at my Discord, the, the out of character chat, they were practically crying. They're, they're like, "He's still alive!" And that, right? Of course. Coming in to save the day at the right time now with a wife and child, you know, and it was just that that was something I could never recreate around a table because people would be hearing about it. And so it was nice with the remote micro session to have that artistic ability.
2: And it also just allows for uh, an ad hoc session. Hey, I got an hour free. You want to do a quick, uh, you know, department scene in uh, main engineering. Yeah, let's Mm -hmm. do it. Jump on. Boom. There you go. Um, so I, I've, there's always this weird dichotomy of there's a, there's a sense that there's a right way to do tabletop gaming. And it kind of, I think is an artifact from the, the late eighties and how, uh, modules and, uh, adventures were published and written, uh, that I think, uh, a lot of people, uh, just kind of, this has kind of always been the way it works and this is the way it has to work. And, you know, the, the new technology really allows you to go at it in a different direction and, and come at it from all, all different uh, ways of uh, addressing the, the time management situation, which none of us have enough time.
0: Yeah. Are you using virtual tabletops too, Joe?
2: You know, that's a great uh, point because that's kind of my next big pro of doing online is the virtual tabletop. Uh, I I was using Roll20 and I really think, and Jim, I'd very like to hear your uh, thoughts on this. I really think Roll20's uh, uh, graphical user interface support for the Star Trek Adventure uh, plugin it, was re- it really enhances the play online tabletop uh, play experience and really was a driving factor of, of STA's growth in the kind of remote thing. Because at one point, there was like only four or five options and you pulled down on the tab for your D&D, da, 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 and Star Trek Adventures was right there. And then people were like, there's a role-playing game for Star Trek? Cool. But I, I don't know how was it on on your side of the the, the line.
1: Uh, what's that in, in terms of getting it up on uh, Roll Twenty?
2: I just the, the the main the main fact that Roll Twenty supported Star Trek Adventures directly with their their plugin.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I wish I could answer that question, but uh, I wasn't really involved in that piece of the in that piece of the puzzle. Um, I think somewhere that must have been happening somewhere around COVID. And uh, I was super focused on the Klingon core book at the time, mm. and uh, I think there was another there was another handful of people at Manipius who were trying to manage the the getting us onto some of the virtual tabletops. I think we tried to get I think Conan and Star Trek and a couple others uh, just to get it up there. And um, so I don't I don't really have a, a story there for you. I'm afraid. I wish I did. <laughs> I, I, did. I wish but I wish I could tell you about it. But uh, it is a lift, right? Like uh, I use Roll Twenty, and I, I use that character sheet, and I know there's a couple different versions of that character sheet. And having the having that dice roller built into the chat function, super so easy. And the fact that you got the character sheet, and then if you flip it, it's the ship sheet. So you can yep. have your ships, your characters. You can make all the NPCs. Like I remember my group when we were using Roll Twenty, uh, we were I, I, I put it upon them if they wanted to to flesh out their departments, go for it. Make a character, make a character sheet. You know, start filling out, create them as a uh, you know supporting characters. And they took ownership of that. And, and then like, you know, I came in, I signed into the group into, into the instance as like, there's like 60 NPCs. I was like, where are these guys coming from? This is awesome. You yeah. got the whole crew here. This is great. Um, so no, I, I mean, I don't know exactly how it all came together to get, um, you know, STA onto Roll 20, but just speaking as a player, not as the line manager, I was really grateful that those tools were there because it got us up and running so much faster that we didn't even really have to think about. It was like there's a character sheet, got our stuff done, we're gone, we're, we're off and running. I got the map and we're all set to go. So I take uh, it
0: must yeah. be pretty popular though, because Modifius a couple of months ago released the electronic tile sets for purchase, right onto Roll Twenty that you could purchase those or something.
1: uh Yeah, I think we did.
0: Yeah, so that yeah. must be. I mean, I, I was actually surprised with that because for a while I didn't think we were going to get tiles of any type anymore. Yeah. And then well, all I of know, them.
1: I know that if you have. If you have PDFs or JPEGs or anything of images, you can just pull those right into the Roll 20 instance and you're good to go. Um, and I guess just in the back of my mind, I assume that because those tiles are available in PDF and physical, and of course, if you bought the physical version, you get the PDF for free. Just email support at Modiphius. They'll send you the PDF for nothing as long as you've got the physical. Um, I just assumed players were either taking the, the PDFs or making you know—it's easy to convert a PDF into a JPEG. I figured they were just doing that on their own but it didn't occur to me that, oh, it'd be easier if we just offered them <laughs> and you bring them in yourself. Uh, so I think I think it was just, uh, it was is, you know, our, our infrastructure was just working on the backlog of all the stuff that we want to get to. And and like, there's only so many people who work for Medifius, and they're spread out so far against so many different la- lines and games and stuff. That it's just a matter of like slotting the right stuff in at the right time and getting it up there. But uh, I mean, I, I have not heard anecdotally about, who's using the tiles and whether they're a benefit or not. Like I I know that people are always asking for more and I hear you, but I'll, I'll tell you good art. Isn't cheap. Nope. And those those, uh, tiles, those were made by the, uh, the incomparable Rick Sternbach and, uh, his time is super, super precious. And I I mean, I'm I'm confident we can't get him back because he's got so much other stuff going on. We got lucky five and a half, six years ago when we were able to get him to do those tiles for us. And uh, I mean, not to say I'm going to put the call out, but like if there are people out there who are doing and this is the trick, right? Because because you want it, you want it fast or good or, or cheap or some combination take, of the two, right? two. two, like if there's a really good graphic artist out there who can do those kind of tiles at a price that won't destroy us <laughs> or destroy the, you know, the ability for us to, to pay you to do them. Versus how much we have to charge to make it to make it work, right? Because unfortunately, uh, you know we do live in a capitalist society, and and we have to make money. <laughs> it's so stupid. Got I hate bills to, say to pay. It, but, uh, I, mean, I would love to make this all just charity and just like get all this stuff out there and replicate it a million times, and we're done. But uh, that's that's always been the challenge with Star Trek. I mean, any game really is like you want to do as much as you can to support the fans, especially now that we've got these great virtual tabletops. I would love to be pumping out more content and uh like miniature stls and environments and miniatures and pieces and stuff and um you know I, like i'm really i love the dnd tile sets that they published that had like furniture and spells and uh creatures and like, all these tokens and things that were really cool to build your environment like there's so much star trek and there's so many ways that you could build like a conference room or a sick bay or a bridge with the chairs and the in the control panels I mean, I, I would totally geek out on if that kind of stuff is available. Yep. It's almost like it's like virtual color forms, right? Where you yeah. just you just put new stickers on your map. But but the reality is that stuff is so <laughs> expensive to make, and and then you got to hope that enough people are playing online to make the to make it worthwhile. Because like you know, the, and then not the piracy is an issue because like it, there's I mean pirates are going to pirate that you can't stop it. But the, the the fear in certain circles, maybe the licensees, licensors. Is that you make a PDF, you make it available for sale. Someone's going to post it on a million <laughs> torrents, and everyone's going to download it instead of buy it, and then you're you're stuck, right? But uh, I mean, that doesn't always happen. But
2: well, uh, I, 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 I hear
1: you. I want I want more too, but it's yeah. just trying to figure out how to make it work.
2: Well, I've got my uh, Futurama like take all my money memes lined up for <laughs> as soon as that. Uh, the one thing you know, I use them uh, in the way you said, putting dropping them into JPEGs into the the set. Uh, into this virtual tabletop and I think you know the one piece of uh, feedback I'd say would be uh, having all of the all of the space frame locations so and selling them by space frame packs. so if you have a galaxy class ship that's the the engine room, the bridge because the the tile set while excellently done is a little, uh, across the, uh, across the series. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the, when you need, when you want the, uh, enterprise, uh, D's engine room, uh, you, you, you know, want to ma- if you're running a spaceship, uh, frame, that's, uh, from the command division or such, um, the tile sets might not, you kind of have to squint a little bit and pretend that it's the, uh, the correct uh console configuration <laughs> for the the ship you're flying but it, i understand the
0: yeah here's a question i don't know the answer to either and i don't know if jim or joe you'll know it cygnus there's a site called cygnus and they have these schematics of of is that paramount cbs owned or is that fan made that's no, all fan made yeah interesting wow that's yeah. a lot of love see that person needs to come <laughs> start generating
1: <laughs> yeah and I mean Joe, I, I totally hear you. And and I, like as a as a lifelong Star Trek fan, I get it. I want everything. I want all yeah. the I want all the different bridge configurations. I want all the different uh engine rooms, all the different sick bays, all that stuff. The, the the unfortunate reality is like the vast majority of that stuff, we don't know what it looks like. We we we've only seen a handful of ships on on ca- in Canon, right? We yep. we have a we have an idea like, they'll redress the bridge or they'll redress the set and they'll make it look a little different. Um, but the reality is like most of that stuff, except for the bridges, like obviously the bridges are the ones that they spend the most time on. Cause that's of course one of the main sets on any sure. Star Trek show. Um,
2: well, you know, there you go. If you art, got your, if you got your artwork yeah. tile and it's in an, an Adobe file, you just add some layers and redress mm-hmm. the, the PDF tile.
1: Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know if you remember, I, I'm guessing you probably do cause you both are gigantic fans like I am, but way back in the day, it must've been the early nineties. Uh, Rick Sternbach and Michael Kuda collaborated on the uh, Enterprise 1701 D blueprints. It was a big, mm-hmm. thick book full of like it must have been like 24 or 25 like blue, um, like architectural, by, yeah, yeah, 18 by 24 architectural blueprints of the Enterprise, every single deck. And what what he what they did is they did like each individual quarters had its own configuration. So you had like a single family quarters, a, a single person's quarters, like a double quarters. Um, all the main actors or the main characters. They had their own quarters, the bridge. Like there was just so many specific little details of these specific rooms. And what they did is they just laid it out deck by deck. And they just like literally cut and pasted and arranged all these different buildings, all these different rooms for each level. And I was like, this is fantastic. And in my secret heart of hearts, what I would love to do is I would love to commission an artist to do just a whole swath of those things in the original series and next gen, and maybe, uh, maybe discovery. And just say, okay, let's figure out a way to make it modular so that you can, that a player could have like, you know, a hundred different rooms on a ship, and then they could they could port it into World Twenty or whatever virtual tabletop, and then they could arrange them however they want. It's like, well, here's my here's my deck six, here's my deck seven, here's my deck eight, whatever. Which is uh, which is canon, by by the way. way. Yeah, Yeah. which is
0: canon that these rooms are configurable. That's one of the things that's been mentioned multiple times. So it's not worth being too straight. Yeah, I've heard people argue sometimes. Well, that's actually on deck six or that's on deck five like it doesn't matter because these ships are configurable and modular so that they can adapt to all kinds of different environments right right
2: well, Speaking of so adapting hard. to some environments, right? Mm-hmm. We can kind of go to the the cons of uh, doing the remote gaming. I think,
0: mm-hmm. and I
2: think the the longest one, the the kind of the biggest one, I think a lot of people articulate most often is the the lack of social interaction. That something's missing from the experience of gathering around a physical table and having your friends there and and eating Cheetos and, and doing all the things we, we did around the, the the gaming table um, and that interpersonal relationship. And uh, so, but I'm going to make a bold statement and I'm going to say, you know, the, the same culture argument that uh, your boss makes to try and have you come back to your seven, (laughs) seven by seven cubicle in your office culture is the same thing. I think any Star Trek adventures is better than no Star Trek adventure. So while I I, I
0: have to give it to you on this because I've been playing a lot of remote. I've I've enjoyed remote since the early 2000s, since my friends moved to Germany and Idaho. And so I didn't really, and San Diego. So we kept our group together through, through that. But just last week I introduced someone to Star Trek RPG and before I knew it, we were up in the house acting, shooting phasers on the ground, like just he he was really getting into it. This is his first time ever playing RPG. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, I miss this, this improv physical aspect of um of RPG. I'm like, I gotta get back into that. So to your point, you only get that really in person, which is beautiful.
2: Yeah, and not to say that, you know, that isn't a positive and we'll probably talk about it in the pro of in-person gaming but i don't think it's as big a con the you know especially now with really robust solid video conferencing software i think there was a real breakthrough and push through with covid um, on the video conferencing and you know I did some gaming in the early two thousands over AIM Messenger, and boy, howdy, let me tell you, that was some real theater of the mind. Yeah, e- exercising, but now I think uh, we can, you know, if you got a good enough camera um, and everything, you can you can substitute uh, probably like I don't know, maybe an eighty percent loss ratio of mm-hmm. uh, of that. Um, so. Now, I will say you don't get to stack up your dice and roll, <laughs> and roll on the table. I do miss
0: that. Yeah. I'm feeling, uh-huh. feel, and I don't know if everyone here, but I had favorite dice that my players were afraid of. They, if yes. I pulled out the black and red, they were like, oh, no. Not the black. They would beg me to roll with different dice sometimes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I have this set of uh, green uh, spe- and black and gray speckled uh, Chessex dice uh, that I roll for Romulans. Like I got five of those and every time that pull, like I will literally pull out the five dice out of the bag and they start like scanning for cloaked vessels. It's, <laughs> you're brilliant.
0: That's great. Those are good old days of dice. You know, our, yeah. our big piles of dice, which are now collecting deaths. For many, for
2: many and, and I will have to say all of the, you know, all of the perils of you know, working remotely apply to gaming remotely, including uh, it's also very, it's easy. It can be easier to be distracted uh, from something else. You got an email that comes in uh, you have uh, others who live in your, your house who don't uh, think that this is a space of a, that you're engaged in something that can't be interrupted. Um, So, you know, there's there is a like working remotely. There is a discipline to gaming online that I think um, is necessary, which also like makes it a little more uh, band like brain challenging bandwidth. I've found, and I know because I know working remotely, a, a virtual online meeting takes. I'm more tired after a virtual online meeting than I would be in a same in person meeting uh, uh, physically for the same hour. And mm-hmm. I, f- I have a feeling that that can kind of translate into uh, others as well. So your four hour session may feel like six, seven, eight hours. Mm-hmm. By the time you, you push back from the chair and go, Ooh, boy, howdy. Yeah.
1: Sympathy <laughs> is real. It's a real thing. Yeah, that's it. That's interesting. You say that. Um, uh, I, I found that uh, when I was when I was playing in person, um, I would be so jazzed up at the end of the session, right? I'd have a ton of energy, and then I'd have to drive home, right? So it'd be a half hour, forty five minutes to get home from the from the event. Because in general, my friends would usually host it, and uh, and and that energy would kind of seep away. And then by the time I got home, I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I'm ready to go to bed. <laughs> but but playing online though. Like I'll finish a session at, you know, midnight or whatever. And I'll be super, I'll be super jazzed up. I, I, I got super 10 amounts of energy and I need to burn it off because I can't possibly go to sleep. And it was that time where I would spend just driving home, right? I would use all that right. energy to drive home, but now I've got all this, this, you know, wired energy. And so I'm, I'm playing video games or I'm I'm working on the next manuscript or something because I've got a. I've got to come down off that high, you know? Oh it's yeah. It's interesting to hear your perspective.
2: Yeah. The number of times when we finish the session and I've like gone downstairs and put on an episode of yeah. deep space nine and I'm like, I need more Trek. Yeah, Give it yeah, to yeah. me. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I think, I think some of this too probably falls into maybe a, like a session zero or like a social contract that you got with your players, just about like respecting each other and like, you know, just, you know, you the time that you have together as a group is precious and limited because of course, as we get older, we always have more demands on our time. So are you going to, you know, are you going to let yourself be distracted by email and, and the browser window and a million other things, or can you actually take an hour to spend with your friends and focus on the game and do stuff? I mean, I think part of that social contract and part of that okay. session zero and, but you know, even then, you know, don't be a hard ass about it because like I, I, there was plenty of sessions where my group would get together and we're like, okay, we're going to play Star Trek tonight. And we get half an hour into it and then we get distracted or we'd uh, be convincing too not, not too much. We'd be convincing. And then at some point when someone would say, you know, I just don't think we have the focus tonight. Let's uh let's call it early and uh, no yeah. harm, no harm, no foul. Let's just get to it next week. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, better, better that than, than spend two hours trying to grind through something that no one's really, <laughs> really into, you know?
2: Right. And I think, you know, that's easier to do on a, in a remote session because yeah. you can all just log off in your home right. yeah. there you know if you there's been a number of times when we've especially like with our monthly gaming group uh, you get together you spend the first hour catching up because you haven't seen everyone in a month and then they're like every once in a while you have to be like all right come on guys let's 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 get some gaming and let's get no no all right well this uh, okay, we're just gonna have a hang out and, uh, and shoot the, uh, shoot the stuff session. <laughs> yeah, and, the,
1: and the, the, and the short card games come out and the board games come out and then the pizza
0: shows up.
2: But I've had more, but to be on that point, I've also had more games die that way because yeah. if that happens a couple times in a row in a monthly game, you haven't gamed in a half a year. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's, you know, the, taking a session off when you're gaming, have the option to or or are gaming every week is a lot different than a bi-monthly or a monthly type game uh, that you all get together in person. So
0: let's let's talk about some of the other caveats of um, remote games. When we talk about cons, what do you think else people should be aware of?
2: So, I mean, Jim brought it up uh, kind of at the beginning, but, you know, again, it's a little more difficult to read the room virtually than mm-hmm. it is in person. Um, but I uh, agree
0: with that. I, I think
2: um, there
0: were times where someone's not responding. And so, you know, the, the text message tone war all the times. like, are they not responding because they're busy? Are they responding because they're mad? And your mind starts going into this thing that has happened. I know in remote games also, so I check in a lot. I, I'm just, if it's a weird subject, or even if something did, I know I know that there was an, a time where um, playing with a colleague from the United Kingdom, I was unaware that a word that I used commonly growing up, surfer talk, California, was highly offensive. And they were nice enough to stop and side DM me like, wow, you know, you just called me that. And that's really, I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't even know. You know, we had to have that discussion right then and there. But my group knows that we pause if you feel at all uncomfortable about anything. Pause. Yeah. But that's something again you have to establish in session zero, right?
2: Definitely harkens back to the social contract
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, what you put together in session zero.
1: Yeah, and I think that I mean honestly, that's that's one of my big barriers right now because I really want to run more stuff online for like new groups, like you know, like like uh, like demo games and stuff. But I know that it, because it's so difficult to read the room, especially when people are uncomfortable being on video, right? Like a lot of people just don't want to be on video. They're okay being on, on audio and, and like talking through uh, speakers or whatever. But a lot of people just don't want to be on video. And they especially don't want to be recorded in a lot of cases. And uh, taking that video component away and and me talking to a group of like five or six strangers or whatever, it's like that. it's just that much harder to to like run a demo or to run a con game or something. Cause it's like, I literally have no idea who's on the other side of the screen other than what I'm hearing. And, uh, and I, I would have to be and not that I wouldn't be, but I'd have to be really deliberate. Like what Michael was saying about checking in every, every little while, really trying hard to listen and like, okay, is someone, am I hearing uncomfortable breathing? Am I hearing like someone kind of sighing and like being disengaged? It's it's just so much harder to make that happen. And and I'll, I'll be honest, that's, that's the main reason I haven't really run anything for, for, for a lot of folks, because like I just don't know how to do that effectively online when I'm not when I don't have the ability to see what what they're doing or what they're looking at, you know.
2: Yeah, I don't think I would be able to effectively run or at least run a game to the quality I would be uh, happy with without the the video component. Yeah, and that's I think, but that's really the the tipping point uh, I found with the online gaming as a viable alternative mm-hmm. method is the the video component um yeah, gets you. I mean,
0: and, well i was just gonna say or or if you are gonna run like i i ran a discord no video you better know everyone really well there has to be a yeah. very good interview process um and and i'm happy to say that the group i play with currently on discord is very mature they're all they're mature writers they're just mature people and that helps a lot um, keep it super safe and super fun. So it's again, the more remote it is, the more you really have to be careful with that session zero, right? Planning. You Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Is that so? So we talked about the pros and cons of remote, and there's still the option to have hybrid, though, right?
2: Yeah. Well, and that's the one thing that's really exciting about some of the technology is you can you can bring it into your tabletop game. So, I mean, there's kind of I've seen so far essentially two main types of like hybrid sessions. Uh, one is like the alternating, like sometimes we game in person, sometimes we game online. Uh, you know, if you have a, like, you know, every, you know, if you game uh, once uh, once a month in person and once a month online, in the kind of alternating week formats, that can help bridge the gap between those long uh, month long games that I find can uh, go can easily wander off into the, uh, the 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 land of the the dead game, mm-hmm. and where that game has to be sent uh, to a farm upstate, yeah. um, or also another. Uh, Uh, interesting uh, hybrid way is where you uh, bring in uh, virtual elements, uh, mostly what I've been thinking is the virtual tabletop uh, into your online game or into your in-person game. So uh, you get all the benefits of having your tokens and your maps and your sweet graphics you found on the internet and downloaded and all the the, the cool art you uh, cropped out of your STA PDF and dropped into your, your battle maps and everything. Uh, but you also are sitting around the table um, and Star Trek adventures has got the, the great genre of it being science fiction. Literally the iPad is the pad from, I mean, if you're playing TOS, of course, you got to get, get yourself a clipboard. But if you're doing next generation and beyond, integrating the iPad into your game experience is not disruptive at all. Uh, the only real drawback is if everyone has to have the the access to the technology in order for it to be uh, usable with your group. So everyone's got to have an iPad or a laptop or... Or whatever it is. Uh,
0: I do have a dream of this. I, I, most of us might know what responsive technology is or a responsive web page, whereas you, no matter what device you have it on, it reformats to fit that device. Because half the time, the last time I played an in person game, my uh, nieces and nephews came over while some friends were visiting. We all have iPads, we had tablets, we had a computer, and we also had a cell phone. My niece only has a cell phone. And so I'm sending her clips, but she kind of has to manipulate them. So that would be a wish list is that we have a responsive PDF, mm-hmm. uh, a responsive okay. so that phones could be more utilized or any kind of device. Um, if we send links and stuff like that, that would be cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah I that's still great. haven't. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I still haven't found a, a good virtual tabletop that works well on the small phone. Mm. Uh, I mean, Roll20 doesn't even pretend. <laughs> uh, to To do that, and and it's actually good on them to know the limitations of their architecture, and and not try and force a round peg into a square hole. But I, yeah, I still haven't found uh, a tabletop uh, software system that that works on anything smaller than the eight and a half by eleven iPad mm-hmm. really effectively.
0: Any Any talk about responsive technology, Jim? Well, I, I can't I can't speak specifically through technology,
1: but what I was going to say is that it, it harkens back to our conversation that we had earlier in this uh, in this chat about um, the barriers to entry for RPGs just in general, right, where, where you're expecting people to absorb a 300 pound or 300 page book of text. Right. Um, that one of the one of the other challenges is that by and large, um, RPGs have not really embraced flowcharts, infographics. Easy to easy bite rules. Like I think the board game industry has done incredible strides in terms of making it super super easy to get people to understand for, for the most part. I mean, there's some there's some board games that are like what what <laughs> like what it's like looking at advanced squad leader back in the day. You know, like oh, there's just so much. Um, but like so there's so many board games now. I mean, not, and, then, and I'm not even talking about kids games. I'm talking about like you know the Euro games and stuff. Like they are really super. Like, like it's a four page pamphlet tells you everything you need to know about the game. It's got nice nice graphics and pictures and tells you exactly how to play the game, super easy. And um, so that's one thing is like, I think the RPG industry could learn a lot from the board game industry in terms of like making it easy to learn your game and get into it. Um, The other thing though, and I've only been hearing about this in the last year or so, partly because I've had some really smart fans sending very, very polite complaints about PDFs. And they're saying, gosh, it'd be so nice if you could come up with a different way to format your documents so that it's easier for me to read it on my you know, e-reader, which there's a million different e-readers out there. How can you possibly format for every one of them? PDFs this quick and easy solution, right? Because that's what we send to the printer to, <laughs> to print the books. We send the PDF, so we just, you know, we clean up the PDF, we have some bookmarks, we're done. Um, not to say that that's the right way. Like, I mean, obviously it's not because there, there are countless ways that we could do, theoretically, a better job of presenting the content in a PDF to make it more useful for a, for a player because I I can't tell you how many times somebody has said, I have, you know, uh, a visual impairment or some other issue. I can't process the PDFs the way they're laid out with the graphics and the pictures and everything else. I wish you could just provide a text document so I can flow that text however I want to. And of course, the the vast majority of game companies are not going to release a word document that would just be crazy like why would you do that yeah. <laughs> but but like i can totally see the need to like maybe maybe in addition to the pdf you release a text document that just has all the text laid out right maybe you know help help the players you know uh consume that text in the in the way that they want to and i don't think I that's would. a great answer yet and i would love yeah. it if somebody could come up with that technology to make it even easier so why if you had a you know if you if you set out a book in letter format it could automatically reformat it in, in letterbox or landscape or something, or or it strips out all the art and just puts the important text in the first couple of pages or something. That'd be amazing, but I just don't even
0: know what that technology looks like. I, right. I literally use something at my work because you know we we have to make all of our learning modules adaptive for everything. Yeah. It's a, co- a company called um Riots Articulate. And when we put it in there, even on the phone, it'll reformat the video small with the words underneath it. And oh, wow. It always has in the upper uh, right-hand corner. You click the hamburger, and it'll show you all the content so you could skip around. Yeah. It's amazing. And maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do the starter pack as a as a as a test <laughs> module. I'll send it to you, Jim, to look at. it.
1: Well, yeah. But again, I mean, again, that that, that just harkens to uh, accessibility, right? The, the the easier we can make these games accessible for people, the better off we're going to be. And I think, um, you know, creating some sort of easy learning modules, like we were talking, you, you all were talking about um, earlier about how it, like when you release a game now, you almost have to have videos that explain how to play the game, a quick walkthrough, quick demo, whatever. It's like, that's what players need now, especially because we're now, you know, moving toward a, a more visual intensive generations, right? They want to see the videos before they go read the text. And, you know, that's no, you know, I'm not going to get into the weeds about uh, our education system here in the United States and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, learning has changed, right? We, we are more, more toward a visual um, kind of learning mode as opposed to just reading content. Um, Anyway, so, uh, Joe, I think I interrupted you and I apologize.
2: Oh, no, I was just going to say in my my day job, I work for the state of California and uh, all of our documents we publish on the internet have to be ADA compliant (laughs) and accessible. And Adobe does have some really nice features on how they do their tagging and and artifacts in the background um, that can be used. It does require uh, a kind of specialized... Well, I don't want to say specialized knowledge. It it, it requires some effort, but there is a uh, there is a way to kind of uh, front load a lot of the uh, accessibility uh, e reader, especially the visually impaired e reader stuff. When you're building a document, I know you the I'm sure Modifius has a ton of templates and and stuff that are already kind of locked in place. But um, I'm sure there is uh, I mean, there are some tools out there and some strategies on how to make things more e-readable.
0: I like this though, because I think the more we do that, the more you're able to get a more diverse set of players and get it yeah. accessible to them, which is our goal, which is what we really want. So, so give us in uh Joe, let's give a, we'll do a go round wrap up, talk to us. Um, we talked a lot about the pros and cons of remote. What's your wrap up final thoughts on the matter?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard you all say numerous times there's no wrong way to play Star Trek Adventures, right? As long as you're having fun and everyone is uh, having a good time, uh, you're uh, successful in your gaming. And I think that really uh, applies uh, and expands to the, the medium in which you are doing the gaming in, you know. Some people uh, may find that they really enjoy the in-person social interaction. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and But, you know, there are those of us who... For various reasons, don't have access to or ability to uh, get together in person with a local group, friends scattered all about the world or uh, just uh, time and and other responsibilities. So I think they're at the kind of the end of the day, you know, there's no wrong way. Uh, There is no uh, bad way to play Star Trek uh, you know, infinite diversity and infinite combination. And this is just two examples of the, the combinations we can all come together and enjoy one of our favorite hobbies.
0: Exactly. What about Jim? What is
1: your takeaway? I uh, know. I think, I think Joe said it all really, really well. I think the only thing I would add is, um, you know, because I spend so much time on social media, listening, listening to fans, reading about fans, talking to fans, um, like if you haven't tried online gaming in some format, whether it's Roll20 or another tabletop or Discord, or even just play by post, whatever, uh, give it a try because seriously, there are so many players out there looking for games. There are so many game masters looking to run the game online. And I, I still hear um, a lot of, a lot of posters post and say, Hey, I just bought the game. I want to get into it. There's nobody in my area playing it locally right? Like, like this. the scene in my area is all Pathfinder, it's all d d or it's all, you know, Vampire or whatever. Um, and I can't find any Star Trek players, so what do I do? It's like, well, you know, go online, go to Discord, go to go to the official forums, go to all these different sites that are out there. There are players out there who want to play this game. And especially there's players who want a game master to run it for them. And uh, like, you know, Joe was saying earlier, if you know the system, you can put all the essential rules on a three-by-five card, probably, probably front and back, but <laughs> a three-by-five card you know, Michael and I have talked about this. You get the basic task resolution down, run with that online, and then add the other rules to taste. Add momentum, math, threat et cetera, et cetera. Blah blah blah. You know, go, go watch those other videos. <laughs> but but the the main point I wanted to make though is like be willing to try something new and different. If you have a Jones to to play an RPG and you have a you want to play Star Trek Adventures, then then try online. Like you know, embrace the future, right? That's <laughs> Star Trek. So uh, use a little bit of technology to your advantage and. Uh, and, and give it a go. Michael, any any thoughts for you?
0: No, it's just I love the options. I just love, you know, again, as I got older, I have less time um, to do that drive Joe was talking about um, and commute ro- ratios factored. So it pushed my creative energy to get to a place where I can get my fill in every day, even if it's just five minutes, you know, answering a text. So we love innovation. And if you're doing something innovative, I ask you tell us a continuing mission, send us an article about it, or do what Joe did and suggest a show to talk about it, which is great because now we've immortalized all his great ideas and had a discussion that hopefully you can all jump into once you uh, respond in the comments. We would love that. Right, Jim.
2: And I do have one final thing. I think Jim, you and the, you and the team at Modifius have, uh, done an amazing job at making this the most accessible and least barrier to entry instance of the Star Trek universe I've ever encountered. I have the old Fossa game with all the charts and, and 10 point font back on my shelf and both visually and mechanically and just, uh, In every aspect of the game, it is the most approachable, even down to replicating the way in which the stories can be told as it is shown on the screen. I think this, you you know, I have have an entire library full of uh, game systems to choose from that I could graft on any uh, genre setting that I want to, but time and time again, I keep coming back to the, 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 the game, uh, because it's just such an elegantly implemented version of, of Star Trek.
1: Wow. Thank you, Joe. I, I can't, I, I have nothing to say. Just thank you. I, I will make sure that Nathan hears that because it's, it's mostly on his shoulders that, that we have this game to enjoy Um, but I, I will say, you know, I've got all that stuff too. I got the fastest stuff. I got the last unicorn game stuff. I got the decipher stuff from all the way back in the day. I I think actually my collection might almost be complete except for fossil. I don't have all the fossil stuff, Uh, but I've got enough of it. (laughs) Um, so we are truly, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm looking and it's right next to my workstation. I'm looking at that stuff every day for either ideas or just to see what they did well. And to be honest, to see the stuff that they didn't do so well, because like this is, you know, 20, 30 years ago now the industry has changed, the design of the industry has changed significantly. And uh, it's hard for me to look at some of these books and go, what was the layout decision here? There there was clearly a decision that was made and maybe it wasn't, maybe it was the right one at the time, but looking back, boy, this is hard to read. And not just in terms of like the text is impenetrable, it's like gold text on a gold background. And it's like, even with my 50 something year old eyes, I'm like, I can't, how how do you read this? And, but anyway, that being said, uh, I use their stuff as inspiration every day, and um, I'm always striving to do justice to the to the property for the fans. And and, and I know that we're we're building something that's going to be used by people 20, 30 years from now with whatever future iteration of Star Trek Adventures or Star Trek RPGs becomes. You know, we're 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 setting our you know setting our our piece into it, and I hope we're doing okay.
2: <laughs> oh, the, t- the team's <laughs> uh, absolutely crushing it. Yeah, I'm absolutely crushing it. it.
0: Thank you. As a fellow super fan, what Joe said, ditto, ditto, ditto. Perfect. So thank as you. usual, we like to go out with thank yous. Um, I'll let you start with the. Uh, well, Joe, that was a thank you. Was that your thank you?
2: <laughs> I mean, I so. yeah, but uh, I do have a shout out for my local game store, yes. uh, Great Escape Games in Sacramento, California. They were the ones who had Star Trek Adventure on the shelf when I went walking by and like did a double take and was like, "What is this beautiful looking book here?" And the rest, they say, is history.
0: Oh, man, make sure they watch this show that you gave them the shout out. I love that. I'm going to take it all the way to the other side of the United States. And um, Chuck Barbie wants to shout out the Complete Strategist in New York, New York. Gotta love the Big Apple. All right. Jim, your shout out. Uh,
1: well, You cover you always cover the game store so well, Michael. So I'm going to go. Uh, first, I'm going to say thank you. So the as of the time that we're recording this, I know it'll be a few weeks before we release it. But uh, Gen Con just happened uh, past weekend. I want to I want to shout out everybody at Medipius and all the fans who came out to uh, support the games at the booth. Uh, they worked uh, their butts off for all four days. It, you always work your butt off at Gen Con. Uh, they worked really hard. Um, the scuttlebutt I got from the people in charge is that everything Star Trek sold out, uh, including some stuff that we found in the warehouse. They had like they found four Borg cubes. Oh, on a pallet, God. on a pallet in a storage facility that's been sitting there for I- two years. We haven't been to Gen Con since 2019, right? Okay. As, how did you find four board cubes? This is unbelievable. But they sold them all to fans, they sold all the stuff inside, of them, all the miniatures, all that <sighs> other stuff. Um, all the books they brought with them sold out the tricorders, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, blah blah blah. Um, so I, have I want to ask to what was the board
0: cubes retailing for? I just gotta ask.
1: Oh, I well, I mean, when they first came out, they were like six hundred dollars because there was so much stuff in them, yeah. And then we did, and then we did a second run that was just the cube and the collector's book and a couple other trash keys. And those were like 300. And uh, because we just found these cubes, I don't think they were even even in our, in our inventory. I'm not sure. I think they were just like found Found mm-hmm. gold, you know. So I think they probably sold them for whatever they thought they could get for them, and uh, and bargained about the. You know, I, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure they put their fringy hat, their fringy ears
0: on, and just you know made the best the rules, rules of, of acquisition. That should, yes. have, that should have been a spotlighted panel with auction. At that would have been auction, and with uh, like anyway. half, like half of it going to charity or something. That would be. Oh uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, that being said, uh, a shout out to everybody who worked the booth. Thank you so much. Thanks to all the fans who came and visited. Um, and then my other thank you was just to the fans overall, because without you, we wouldn't be doing this game. And uh, and Joe's a great example. He, he was a super fan who came up with the outline for this show, sent it to us. We were like, yeah, we could do that. That's no problem. And uh, came on. And I'm super grateful to have you here, Joe. Grateful for all your feedback and, and your insights. And uh, can't wait to hear from you again. So thanks for being here. Really appreciate it.
2: It was my pleasure and a privilege to be able to join you two to talk about one of the games we love. Uh, The great thing about this community is uh, it's uh, very driven by the fans and the contributions that the fans make. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyone who's listening, I expect to see you uh, on the Facebook group and in social media uh, putting your two cents in and uh weighing in and making it all better cuz you never know what idea you post is going to inspire someone else to take that element and run with it in, in their game.
0: You got it That's right. That's right. All right, Joe, we want to hear back from you in the future. Until then, IDIC.
1: Live long and prosper. Be safe, be well, and we'll talk to you next time.